Let me tell you something so you get this straight. It's not my work that got her this way. My work is clean. Besides, you don't get this shit from amp jobs. That's just a myth. So what does cause it? What causes it? The world causes it. This causes it. This causes it. This causes it. Information overload. All the electronics around you poisoning the airwaves. Technological fucking civilization. But we still have all this shit because we can't live without it. Everyone and welcome back to the Furidashi podcast. I am Nicholas, and I'm here with the inimitable Lauren Ash. I was not expecting <laughs> you to I'm sorry. I I was we're, we're wheeling and dealing here. <laughs> Just, we're, it we're, we're, it. Yeah. So I well, because when we had talked about how we we're going to set up the episode, I originally told Lauren that I was going to do a long spiel and then hand it over to her. And so yeah, she was not prepared for that. Apologies to Lauren and apologies to our listeners for having to experience that. But today we wanted to talk a little bit, actually a lot of bit, about systems. And the reason why we want to talk about systems is that in previous weeks we have spent a lot of time talking about the ins and outs of mechanics. Now, for those of you who are longtime Fudidashi listeners, you will already know this, but we define mechanics in a rather simple way, which is simply actions that players take within a game. And the reason why I have to state this out you know, up front is because of the fact that if you do any reading about game design, you will often find that there are as many definitions of mechanics as there are people defining them. So that's our working definition. So I want you all to be aware of that as we get into this. But as we've discussed this idea of sort of thinking about why players take particular actions, how they take actions in a game, like what causes them or sort of constrains them, to be, you know, behave in particular ways, we have arrived at this point where mechanics only have meaning and have a sort of meaningful relationship to player choice when they are set within a particular framework that constrains them. And that may seem like a kind of a contradiction, this idea that sort of constraints are what give things meaning. But the whole point is that if something is completely free form, then it almost like as a player, you're sort of searching for a function for it to, ha you know, for an individual mechanic to have. Like, so for example, like let's say you had punch. Like, you know, your your first person character can punch things. But the thing is, like, what if you could punch anything in the world? You can punch the ground. You can punch rocks. It's literally Minecraft. You can punch anything, and that is a way to approach it. But there's also a way to approach it where you can literally only punch like NPCs. You can't punch the trees. You can't punch the rocks. And that constraint, that idea of sort of only punching other like humanoid characters in the world, that gives a different kind of meaning to the punch mechanic than the punch mechanic has in a game like Minecraft, where, like I said, you can literally punch anything. So with that said, I actually want to hand things over to Lauren because Lauren is herself a systems designer. 
to sort of briefly define and or riff on what exactly a system is and how that is sort of different and or like overlaid on top of mechanics. So Lauren, please take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So first off, um, what is a systems designer is honestly a matter of definition, which I think is hilarious <laughs> in the term of it itself. <laughs> systems designers generally create the framework or the constraints that enable, right, say you could say combat designers or cinematic designers to create something within the world, right, or content designers. So a level designer is very straightforward. I'm going to start there because a level designer, right, makes the level. Yep. It makes the play space of the world, right? We work with artists as level designers. A cinematic designer, right, will make cinematics. A narrative designer could also be a cinematic designer, right? Yeah. But what's with a systems designer is you're actually making the tools, right, that enable that cinematic designer or that level designer to create. You're potentially like going so far as to be a tools designer, or you're making, say, the system for which the right combat or punching everything happens. So my system designer brain actually smiled a little bit when Nicholas said, well, in <laughs> Minecraft, you can punch anything. And I'm like, that's not true. You can't technically punch the air because that's there's true, no yeah. system right. for punching the air. It's You're almost right, like yes. whiffing, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if you could punch the air, you would get a resource called air. Yeah. Because yeah, the right. system of Minecraft is punch a thing, get a thing, right? Yeah. That is the constraint or the framework of a systems designer. And I actually wanted to shout out to one of our Patreon users I'm Allison, who asked an incredibly good question of me in our Patreon, um, on one of our Patreon episodes, where she was kind of asking about what are the differences between the fundamentals of a game or the essentials of a game. And yeah. I wanted to kind of share that really they're the same because the fundamentals of a game are the essential pieces and elements that are needed for that experience. So as a systems designer, you actually look at creating systems that create a fundamental gameplay loop. So if you've ever played um, like a fighting game, right? It's like Street Fighter, for example. The gameplay loop is quite literally the system of how does one move affect another move? How many ways can you block? Yep. And the system is quite honestly just the round-based system, which seems less of a system and more of a like a literal constraint like we're talking about. Yep. And so a systems designer in there might be a combat systems designer creating all of the combos but it would also be balancing and understanding how someone's uppercut punch, how do you block it or how are you able to get around it right with a kick or with a jump or with yeah. a special move, Yeah. right? And I think that that's kind of an important differentiation because when you look at systems design, it really is whatever the system of the game needs, right? Very different games have different systems designers. A systems designer at Crystal Dynamics is going to be way different than a systems designer at Sledgehammer. Because the yeah. systems are different. Much less yeah. are you a single player or a multiplayer systems <laughs> designer, right? And many systems designers can dabble in both, but the framework and your thinking and your thought process are totally different because the constraints of a single player game are different. Yeah. And I want to, so I want to go back to the point that you made about punching the air, because that's actually a really in interesting one. And I think it's, it's useful for. Yeah, that's really all I wanted to talk about, but I wanted to make sure at least our users knew where our users, our listeners our users. knew. As you can see, we're recording after work. And yeah, so yeah, so for, for those of you who don't know, this is a Fudidashi After Dark episode. So if we get a little loopy, that's kind of why. 
Um, we're not drinking this time, so we are all you know all hands on deck in terms of our brain cells. But yes, all hands. We all, we may all deck on hands. <laughs> all hands deck on, on hands. Deck. Whatever, look, guys. Whatever. <laughs> You're not paying for this, so you get what you get. Anyway, but the point about punching the air is that you. So in Minecraft, this idea that so like now now I'm sort of kicking myself for saying this because Lauren is right. You actually have to sort of create the ability to punch anything in other words it's not that like the ability to punch anything is already available at first and then the system designer comes along and says like no you can't do that no you can't punch air no you can't punch clouds like that's not actually how it works you actually have to create the ability to do those things like ex nihilo and so what's kind of interesting about that is that it, it's sort of weird in many ways the constraint precedes the mechanic even yes. though from a, even though from a player perspective, the mechanics is is sort of the first thing you experience, and then you experience it within the context of whatever sort of systems framework that has been built up, seemingly around it. But it's weird because like the player experiences sort of the systems of the game in sort of an inverse way from the way that the, that the designer experiences. The designer has to sort of like invert the player experience in order to do their work. So you actually have to think about like, how am I going to construct, as Lauren said, the tools, and then what the, what do the tools do? Like what sorts of like systems do they create? And then what do the systems do in, in relationship to their mechanics? So you actually have to start at the broadest level possible and then sort of like decrease it as you go down. Whereas the experience of the player is one of sort of a, a kind of like, not a narrowing, but sort of an expansion because you begin from a place of, you know, when you first, you know, load up a game, you have like no expectations or no under, well, not no expectations, but you don't, you haven't had like a gameplay experience yet. And then over time you start to sort of flesh things out. So it starts off, you know, like a singular point and then it moves outward. And yeah. reason, sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah. And I just want to like reiterate on that because it really is when we talk about how game development is hard, I really want to emphasize that it is an inversion of your thinking. A lot of, and honestly, a lot of indie devs, maybe myself included, I say indie, but I really just mean student. Anyone that wants to make games for the first time starts with a simple mechanic, right? Yeah. Um, now, I'm I'm cheating a little in that I actually started in interactive fiction, which means I started in Twine. I started in um, Inkle Writer for anyone that wants to go back into the Wayback Machine. Um, <laughs> and these uh, like mechanics were very much just dialogue choices, right? Yeah. So when you looked at the system there, my constraint was just, I'm writing text, that's it, and I have branching narrative, I have choices. But the tool that I was using, right, Twine, for example, uses a little like post-it note like interface that means that my text tends to be a little bit shorter, I can't write super long form, I'm just because visually it doesn't look appealing. Yeah. And so when Nicholas brings up, you look at the tools that you're creating, this is why we talk a lot about in game development, the longer you are in game development, the more concerned the older hats are about how everyone's using Unreal or Unity. Because yeah. while these tools are incredibly powerful, you know, there's this misconception that Unity is only good at making one type of game. And that's yeah. not very fair to the Unity developers, right? As in the developers who uh, make Unity, not the developers that use Unity uh, yeah. to differentiate them. <laughs> and it's also not it's also not fair for Epic, right? I mean, it is very pliable, both of these uh, tools, to create for your own unique experience. But it is something to be said for when anyone can open up an Unreal Engine demo and make a third-person right, action shooter or yeah. can make a first-person horror game, right? Yeah. Anyone can load up Unity, and Unity is a lot easier on 2D because a lot of 2D games are made in Unity. You yeah. try to make a 2D game in Unreal, 
Well, it was just not built for that. You're going to have a rough time. (laughs) You're going to have a rough time. No, I've tried. You're going to have a rough time. And so I think that, um, yeah, it's just, it's very different. And the coding languages are different. But when you realize that the editor itself and the how you create something is a constraint, you begin to understand then why you have to figure out, you know, it's like, what type of game are you making, right? And then that's the expectation for the player, right? You're making a 3D puzzle platformer. Okay, well, puzzle platformers have certain types of mechanics. You see, you've already constrained yourself by a genre. And so a lot of new designers like myself go, okay, we'll do dialogue choice. That'll be the only constraint. What system, what tool, right, will give me that so that I can create unique mechanics? Um, Yeah. And so actually, I mean, I don't want to get into like the (laughs) what engine is best for what you know, argument. No, I was that, bringing that's... it up just because it's like, it's not about what engine is best for what, right? <laughs> you can do whatever you want with whatever tool you're given. Technically, if you have yeah. enough right resources or manpower, friends in a basement, pizza. Well, yeah. And because really what you're talking about are, is there's a certain degree of affinity. Like, I mean, the thing is unity in terms of like practical, like usage is primarily it's used by a lot of indie devs. I mean, indie devs also use other engines as well. But the thing is, like, I I can't remember where it was that I saw this, but it was looking at like, it was just a pie chart. And it it had surveyed, I think, about like 1300 um, indie developers asking them, like, you know, what is the the most common like game engine that you've used and unity, like, outstripped all others by an order of magnitude. Part of the reason for that is that unity was one of the first uh epic was one of the first companies to actually create a tiered system where like basically if you were on the like lower level of the income bracket or like sales bracket then you could get a much cheaper license and in some cases a free license for the engine and it scaled up um unreal now does this as well so but unity did it first and so i think that's a lot of the reason for it is yeah and to edit that statement really quickly you originally had said epic made the tier system but you meant unity made the oh yeah yeah, sorry sorry, yeah sorry and then and then it. and that's fine it's 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 confused and it's late Ah. Um, but this isn't to say like like there's licensing there's tiers there's a bunch of stuff in all of that it's all to say that like hey as a developer this is what we have to evaluate Whenever we start a new company or whenever we start a new project, if we don't use a proprietary engine, right? Yeah. And then with your proprietary engine, you actually have an internal uh, foundation or framework team that then every time you start a new project goes, okay, how do we change the engine for this next project, right? I mean, it's a big reason why... Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Well, I I was just thinking that... Trying to think of like an analogy of like how, how you could how to sort of like think of like translating the player experience into the designer experience in a way that people might understand who aren't, you know, already designers themselves. And the best way to probably think about this is sort of like the relationship between the GM and their players, because the GM actually has to think about world building in much the same way that a designer has to think about systems. I think that's a great example, especially because it links back to what you were saying with it's not that Minecraft lets you punch everything and then we just took away air. Yeah. It's that as a systems designer, we're responsible for creating the fact that you could or could not punch the air. Yeah. Right? And I think that's funny because when you're a game developer for many years, punching the air wouldn't even – like <laughs> that would be a stupid assumption that you make. But then yeah. some exec right in this chair is punching everything and goes, huh, why am I not getting air resources if I get water resources <laughs> when I punch water? And then you're just literally like blank-faced – you know we'll consider it thank you for your feedback you know just like that is exactly what you do so i think that's really good because in a gm standpoint 
it, it is additive, but you almost do have to constrain your player's imagination because they're in front of you. Well, not only that, but also sort of like the, the way in which you sort of like have to prepare if you if you're the kind of GM who prepares before a play session where like you you don't just have sort of like if bad GMs will just like have like, oh, I'm going to have this encounter and this encounter and this encounter. And I'm going to do everything in my power to like force my players to like have that ser- that series of encounters. A much better way to approach it is to sort of conceptualize. It doesn't have to be an entire world. It could be sort of like, you know, a town or it could be like, you know, an environment like, you know, a cave system or it could be a forest or it could be a jungle or a volcanic island or whatever. And then you sort of in your mind and maybe even in your notes, you populate that area with various things. And so that like as your players make choices within that environment. But that's the thing is that you're not creating specific like things for them to do specific events for them to have i mean you can do that as a gm but i think that's bad gming but to make well, an analogy I wouldn't, I, I yeah, wouldn't, sorry. just really quickly i wouldn't say yeah. it's bad or good what i would say it's definitely two very distinct styles yeah and it also attracts many different types of players i would say that players who just want a story to be told to them do prefer a gm that does the encounters but it also yeah. means a shorter time most people only have 30 to 45 minutes yeah like i've seen those gms go do really well at those things. But I've seen longer players, players that want a complete experience, do prefer more of the open world designer GMs. That's true. So I mean, continue. You... To, to, just so that we don't encourage anyone who is starting to GM from disencouraging <laughs> them by saying that there's only one correct yeah. way. I, I yeah, don't want you to bad. understand that. Yeah, there are two different systems here. Actually, right? no. Well, and... the, 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 the two GMs is actually a really good way to approach this because the two GMs could also be analogous to two different kinds of designers. Because you, yeah. you can imagine the GM who wants to create sort of like the very structured, as you know, as you described, like narrative experience where like, events are very clearly sequentialized and you're not necessarily railroading your players, but you're definitely putting them on like a particular path that is very easy to follow. And then they can get through it very quickly or very efficiently. There are games that are designed like that. And often they do have a narrative focus. They like, they want to tell you a specific kind of story and they want you to go from waypoint A to waypoint B to waypoint C to waypoint D. So that way you can experience the specific like encounters that are going to occur in those, each of those places. Mm -hmm. Whereas sort of the, the GM that I was kind of valorizing, I guess, because it's the sort of that I prefer is someone who thinks probably more in terms of open world design or is someone who thinks of design more in terms of something like, you know, like the Dragon Age games or mm-hmm. someone who wants to construct um, like a broader domain in which the player or like even a game like Horizon Zero Dawn or Horizon Forbidden West where you can choose to go to different areas because the designers have conceptualized a a whole framework in which you can do many different things that you can sort of choose as you, as you go along. Yeah. Both of those designers are equally, sorry, go ahead. No, both of those designers are kind of equally valid in their respects and can create like the experiences for that. Right. Yeah. You can already see with Nicholas going, well, I prefer this type of experience and so unfortunately, like, you know, honed in on that yeah. is that when you're getting hired for games and systems design, right, they, they go, hey, you've only ever done single player, right? You've only ever done, you know, this Uncharted or Last of Us or, you know, honestly, Tomb Raider style game, yeah. right? How are you going to be applicable to like a multiplayer, right, system or a multiplayer design? And yeah. that doesn't actually mean that your skills aren't transferable. If anything, systems is a pretty wide field and they completely are. 
But to really hone in on some of the specifics for you guys, the first GM, say making like Tomb Raider or making Uncharted, when you're a systems designer, you're going to be making more about the progression through the space. So over time, which mechanics are unlocked, right? Yeah. And it's not actually up to the level design team necessarily. It's more that, hey, we have a grappling mechanic, but we can't give the grappling hook to the player in level one unless that's like a main mechanic or something, right? Yeah. You're going to give it to them at level five. So as a systems designer, now you're in charge of locking, unlocking these abilities, right? You're making sure that all the save states continue. You're also in charge of understanding skills or progression, right? Are you leveling up? Is there any player choice? Player choice is kind of the the heart of a systems designer because ours are constraints, right? We are limiting the choice. So in single player, you can see with skills or, or even in like Hades with your upgrades, the boons that are random. That yeah. would be a, like, right, that's a systems designer. Yeah. Now, when you come to an open world design, now it's less about, well, you're unlocking the skill at level five. Now maybe it's about the area. In Dragon Age Inquisition, it's a very free game once you finally get out of the hinterlands. Yeah. Um, and I think what's interesting is the systems designers there are actually working with the narrative team because, the, and that kind of gets into my love, the narrative systems is that you don't have to recruit really any companions besides your starting three to get through that whole first section, which is about 10 hours. And then you'll just happen to get a fifth companion. Or you can recruit everybody. And so your options, right, for combat balance are going to be a lot more, like have more variety. Yeah. So what's interesting is in Dragon Age is you've got systems designers who understand and work with the narrative for how many types of people are going to be talking. So yeah. how much writing do we need? What do our cinematics need to be? Because Iron Bowl is way bigger than Solus, right? Yeah. In this cutscene. So you've got systems designers for that. We've also got systems designers for the, the whole world, right? Ideally, I know Dragon Age Inquisition had some uh, rough development according to write the book. But ideally, even if you have one systems designer doing all of that, it's different <laughs> hats, right? Yeah, Just yeah, saying. Yeah. Um, hopefully two systems designers, one for the combat and yeah, yeah. one for the world. Well, okay. So like, even, even if you're, you're working on something that is like far more limited in scale, <clears throat> it is important to note that like, as Lauren said, they are different hats that you actually do have to have different perspectives depending upon what specific thing that you happen to be working on. So like if you were designing, so I've been playing a lot of rogue tower recently. I really love the game. It's very cute. It's very fun. Um, and I also just like tower defense games, generally speaking. So, but like, let's say you wanted to design a tower defense game and, you know, there are the basics of the tower defense. You have this like central point around which you either have to sort of like build turrets or create u- units of some kind to defend it. And so then the, the system of how you create units, like that is a system. Like, how do you actually like create and distribute unit units? What are the units? Do they unlock over time? Do you have to like do certain achievements in order to like get particular things? In Rogue Tower, you actually do have to unlock things over time through well, it, through the experience points that you acquire. Anyway, but the point is, is like all of those are systems and you like a progression system that is based upon like achievements or like, or just gameplay, generally speaking. I mean, even in a game like, say, Dishonored, where, you know, you have various abilities, sort of like the the RP elements of the game. But in order to unlock those abilities, you have to acquire things that you go out into the world to find. You find these like, weird witchy dark magic materials and once you find the dark magic materials you can then spend them on either improving abilities that you already have or unlocking new ones but there is 
two systems there. You have gameplay systems, like how the world's set up and then like how you interact with it and how you like fight stuff and how you find stuff. But then once you take pieces from that domain, then you're into another system. It's it's literally, it's a menu that you bring up. And in that menu, you can then apply those things. Like those are different things, but one of the things that Lauren was sort of alluding to earlier is that sort of then at the level of systems designers or systems designing, like they also have to communicate with each other in order to have sort of like a more seamless gameplay experience. No. And it's, it could be multiple people. It could be one person. I mean, highly doubt on Dishonored, it was one person. There's probably multiple systems designers. And this also gets in right to the trouble of when you look at a design credit on on these credited games, right? On these AAA games, most people are just design, 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 right? Like it's just a bunch of names under the design department, which honestly is incredibly unfair slash also maybe freeing, right? People who didn't (laughs) do work can claim that they did do that work. People that did do a shit ton of work can also say, yeah, I I did all of that work because you can't tell my credit is designer. (laughs) Um, And I think that what's really fascinating about this is you're probably going, but Lauren, sometimes I play Dishonored and I play these games, like Legend of Zelda even, and I don't understand. These resources just naturally occur where they should grow. No. Right? These herbs just randomly no. appear. No. These, these <laughs> items. <laughs> like just, They're just, just there. Theater. They're just in the ether. Yeah, they right? magically or, you know what? You know what? Not even that. Uh, Lauren, <laughs> I open these chests in Fortnite and in these games all the time, and it's totally RNG. That's not a system. Ah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Do I have a... <laughs> Do I have news for you, my friend? Not only is that a system, that is a system of systems of systems, my friend. Yes, that is yeah. three levers, three levers, three layers, and probably multiple levers yeah. to pull and to tune and to tweak. That yeah. every chest you open, right, opening the chest, placement of the chest, even if they say it's procedurally or randomly generated, someone still places those markers. Someone still puts them in the exact correct location, right? Yeah. Like in Destiny and in Fortnite, um, and I say Destiny and Fortnite because those are the two biggest right loot shooters out there yeah. on the market right now. Um, and I, I say those two because I think most of our listeners will have at least played and or heard of it. And yeah. or you have kids, they've played Fortnite. I've played Fortnite. You know, I am a 15 year old kid, <laughs> you know, with my, with my 15 years of work experience with my 15 year old, you know, I came out of the womb, a developer. Um, oh, no, that's, wow. yeah, that would be terrible. I would be, that would be really bad. Yeah. Um, but all of that, no, but it is, it's, 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 a. Uh, it's kind of unfair to think that true random is ever true random. And that's why you'll have things like in destiny, like you'll have the, um, uh, those like falling, ugh, I forgot what they're called. I haven't played destiny in forever. Um, yeah. but basically you'll have like the rare item chests, right? You'll have like yeah. the legendary chests and then everybody fights over it, but it's co-op and then you all get the reward, right? You'll have these events specifically for loot, or you're going to want to get those legendary items at the end of a raid right? Because they're the best. They're the item to chase. That's the systems designer. And that's also the user experience designer, Yeah. right? There's there's a lot in that. And I think that that's what gives us the freedom in games to kind of do more yeah. is because a lot of systems designers um, originally, like 20 years ago, I'm actually going to go super far back in our way back machine because systems designers, it's not that they didn't exist. It's that most systems designers were engineers because the tools that were available were only accessible at the C++ right yeah. or the java level you had to you, you had, had to actually very, code them yeah yep you had to code the systems in now yeah. we still use engineers to code them but with the advent advent of blueprint i know many engineers that just stay completely in blueprint and are like i'll convert this to code later yeah like because blueprint is essentially c plus plus exposed to the designer 
Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. And going to any proprietary engine that doesn't really have that level of code exposed to the designer is just, as a systems designer, right, is so hard. Well, not only that, but also if you're working with a Ren- with a engine, with an engine like RenPy, <laughs> which I now refer to as the Rengine, apparently. Um, the Rengine. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the a lot of these sort of necessary assets are already there for you. The only thing you really need to input in is sort of the text and then the like the artwork that you're going to use. There is a moderate amount of coding in Python that you need to do, but a lot of it has been sort of done for you. But I want to go back to this point about sort of like systems interacting with each other because I think there's 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 a key point there because when Lauren was hypothesizing some I don't know young babby dev who came to her and just wants to know what they're supposed to do she pointed she noted that like oh well but things are just there in the world the chest is just there the thing the loot is just there but think about this for a second like if you go to if you're playing a game and a quest giver tells you to go out into the nearby dark forest to slaughter 20 dark bears and collect 20 dark bear butts the thing is like someone had to like set up a like design the bear someone had to design the loot table for the bear to include the bear butt then the bear butt itself had to then also be included in the system that's the quest system because the quest giver once you bring back the bear butts has to recognize that you actually have them and so then the thing is like all of those actions that i just mentioned whether you're talking playing breath of the wild or whether you're playing i don't know Fortnite, the things that are there in the world have been put there intentionally and that's what we were sort of talking about earlier where like you as a player may just experience it as being there. It's just poof, it is there. It's just the bears are in the forest, but someone had to create the forest for the bears to be in, create the bears. Somebody had to put them there. Somebody had to make the bears actually useful. Somebody had to actually make the bears killable. (laughs) Yeah, but let's like not even to, not even to like go into like how the bears got them in the first place. Let's just really hone in on the fact that you were like, someone has to put bear butts in a loot table. Yeah. I want you to know that there's probably two or three different designers in that equation. Yeah. And that, that's just it. Let's put bear butts in the loot table. Okay. So bear butt has to be a designer because someone needs to design like, or at least put in what a bear butt is, right? Yeah. And work with artists to make sure we can get an asset for icon of bear butt. Yeah. Right. Second is that you're going to have a designer that is going to set up these loot tables or that is the systems designer that does the quest system. Right. They're the ones that are going to make sure that the quests themselves know how to set up and connect the information. Right. And they're also going to make sure and design like how do they drop? Where do they drop from? Right. But third is that quest designer. That quest designer isn't even in charge of what is a bear butt and how do I access it? Right. Quest designer is just I want to make a quest that has bear butts. (laughs) Now, quest designer might be smart enough to add it to the loot. And I say smart enough, but I actually mean like might be educated. Right. Or taught by these other two designers. Right. Yeah. Um, and likely it's at least two designers, one systems designer and a quest designer, right? Because the systems designer might also be the tool designer that makes the interface for the quest designer to use that allows them to even assign a bare butt. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's what's really important here for people to understand that when you think of what is systems design, what is a loot, right? How does my loot get into the game? <laughs> it really isn't a quest designer's job to figure out what are all of the items that I can give. It's about, I'm going to create a ton of quests for World of Warcraft that use this pool of resources that I've been given. How yeah. can I do this in the most inventive, 
fun, exciting, unique way. That's a different mindset than because the cost designers are sometimes considered content designers, right? Because they're making content. Yeah. That's completely different than the systems designer who goes, I've been given 50 different assets that all need to be requests, but actually might also be crafting resources. Yep. So now they need to be shared between a crafting system, right? Oh, wait, yeah. maybe their currency, because you can use wood for quests, wood to craft a fire, yeah. or wood to barter with a NPC. Oh, well, now the system designer has to really understand where resource management is. Yeah. And resource design is like, could be an entirely different type of systems design. Yes. And so that's really important to understand because when we started this, right, it was how do you make systems and how do you make systems with meaning, right? How, yeah. what are systems, right? And systems are just constraints of on the actions, right? On the mechanics yeah. that either enable them or disable those mechanics, right? Yeah. Depending on how you use them. And so if you use your wood, to barter for a gun in this post-apocalyptic, I don't know, <laughs> setting I've created just right now in five seconds, yeah. then you can't use it to build a fire. Yeah. And that might mean that your party is cold for the night. Oh, but you have a weapon, but you don't have fire, so you get attacked. <laughs> so then you use the weapon and you feel really good, like it mattered, that it didn't matter if you didn't have a fire because you were going to get attacked that night. Yeah. But the only reason you got attacked was because the systems designer said, if the lights go out, have a 60% chance to spawn an enemy versus then if you have fire, drop it to 30. Yeah. So while you think that you made the right choice, the game actually made that choice for you.